Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Probably need to sort of discuss health stuff that's I know. been going on. I was going to say, anyone yeah. listening, you will be able to hear in Zoe's voice that for the last few weeks, few, it is a few weeks now, yeah, three you've weeks just had now, this yeah. awful cold. Mm. Yeah, not just a cold. Looks like my glandular fever's come back, oh, which don't. is pretty devastating. I had it when I was a kid yeah. and um, my immune system has just been absolutely hammered recently. I don't seem, since the, uh, COVID getting COVID twice didn't help me, but then I just, I just feel like I haven't been able to recover. You know, Mm. normally I'd just be like, bang up, let's go. And my, you know, my life is fast paced, isn't it? Isn't it all? But this time round, it just felt like it was going on for too long. Um, But we have a plan. I'm on a bunch of herbs. I'm taking loads of supplements, my minerals. I've got to take minerals every day. Like I was deficient in B6, magnesium, iron levels were very low. So we we have a plan of action and I plan on getting very, very well. But um, yeah, it's not, it's not been a, it's not been a pleasant month. That's for no. sure. Oh, and anyone who's had glandular fever will know that it, it's it's actually really awful and debilitating. Mm. Like some days I remember having it when I was like 16, 17. I couldn't even get out of bed. I just I felt so exhausted and for not for no reason, but I guess you you feel quite frustrated by it. Well, that's the thing. And I think anybody that knows that, because yeah, you just get extreme fatigue and you you, you think that you're going to wake up and you're like, well, I've had eight hours sleep. I'm going to be absolutely fine here and bounce out. And you just don't. So it's like a continual buildup. And it's so not like me. You know, I'm the one that's like, come on, let's go. 5.30 yeah. in the morning. Let's go, go, go. But anyway, listen, I just wanted to fill everyone in because I have been quite quiet, quiet on socials, quiet on the podcast, yeah. just trying to like reserve energies. No, you need to get yourself better. I've got to because I'm going to Ibiza in a couple of months. <laughs> How are you, George? I'm all right. I'm fine. I mean, we're, we're sort of recording this episode a week ahead. And so we're a week into the school holidays and there's still another week to go. Mm. And I don't know why. I feel like every Easter holiday or half term, we're here saying, oh, it just sp- sprung up on us. <laughs> Again, it wasn't yeah, ready no, for it. It's marvellous, isn't it? <laughs> yes. The- 
but, but how fine. lovely yeah like, it's no. so lovely for me I'm like treasuring every second that I get with them because it's not that much and I came home the other day and I was I was in a bit of a state I had a, a big old cry and the kids were just so beautiful with me putting mm. their arms around me are you tired from all the work that you're doing mummy we're here for you and Kit, Kit looked at me in the eyes and he goes take a deep breath and I was like this is what I say to him <laughs> take a deep breath and I was like okay so yeah it's um yes it's stressful yes uh, uh, you know working parents listening or parents that are just at home every day with their kids over Easter it ain't easy no it's really not um but listen let's get into the chat because this is something we've wanted to discuss for a long time and sometimes we do have ideas for things that we want to discuss and then it's just about finding the right guest to talk Mm. about it and I think with this episode we really did you know find the right guest yeah he spoke so beautifully (sighs) didn't he I mean absolutely and 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 actually this whole podcast is about really finding out all aspects of parenting whatever that looks like to you and so we are absolutely over the moon to have sat down with this incredible human being um to talk about a subject that is really fascinating and actually I've never heard a podcast on it before so for me it was a real treat yeah no absolutely um so we are going to be talking to a trans man who carried a baby um I doubt that it's something that anyone knows lots about and we definitely didn't before this episode and this is why we wanted to have this conversation because there are so many routes to parenting nowadays and we just want this platform to enable everybody to find out about all of those different routes. Absolutely it's a beautiful conversation stick around for it. George who are we chatting to today? Today we are chatting to Freddie McConnell. We are so excited about today's chat. An absolute honour to be sitting down virtually with this incredible person, journalist, podcaster, star of documentary Seahorse, following a transgender man's path to parenthood and father of two. It is the fantastic Freddie McConnell. I am watching our guest right now. (laughs) He's swaying with a little baby in his arms. How are you? How's it going? <laughs> it's fine. This is my constant state at the moment. Um, but it's fine because um, baby's pretty small still. So, you know, I'm not having too much of an achy, achy time. So you really are kind of right in the middle of it. Yeah. Your littlest is 12 weeks. How have the last three months been? They've been kind of amazing, actually. Like, my first kid, I'm sure, I think we just had pretty standard. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. He was kind of you know, a bit colicky, you know, struggle to sleep a bit, all the standard stuff. Whereas this time I definitely know what I'm doing more. And also this baby's just so calm (laughs) and sleepy. So, um, yeah, it's one of those situations. Sorry if that makes anyone feel incredibly envious because I know I would if I was in the other (laughs) situation. (laughs) But, yeah, got lucky with this one. Yeah, it just, you you kind of have no no control over what you're given, do you really? Sometimes you get a really chilled one. In fact, my really chilled baby Gigi is now not a not-so-chilled toddler. Uh, Yeah, Um, I'm sure that's going to happen as well. So, you know, you never know. But, um, you know, we wanted to get you on to... I guess, talk about your journey to being a parent. Um, And I wanted to start by just taking you back to your childhood. Um, And I guess, when did you realise you might feel different to, you know, your your friends at school or your friends at nursery or your friends around you? It was just always there. Mm. But you don't necessarily know for sure that you feel different right because you don't know how other people feel it's really complicated and confusing and I think as 
a culture and a society i understandably we we want to think that things are like quite black and white especially when it comes to trans people and we get these like you know well when i was two i asked my parents in very eloquent language or i told them i just wanted to be dot 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 or whatever and i think that does happen obviously for some people but for me i think i grew up around most of my friends were boys and then the girls I was friends with were tomboys, which is what I sort of assumed I was at the time. So I just assumed that they all felt like I did. And um, I remember when I was going into sort of puberty, feeling a bit more confused and because a lot of my friends who were girls had started to move away from being tomboys and I was like waiting for that to happen to me because I just didn't feel any different I didn't feel like I was changing I felt like I was staying the same but like the world was kind of getting harder and my friends were becoming more distant from me because they were all growing into themselves and I wasn't and I remember my mum saying to me don't worry you know you'll get there it'll, it'll happen and I and I wanted to believe her so I did believe her um and then just like the years kept passing and and I never felt any different and it was only at university when I was in my early 20s and this would have been sort of 2008, nine. So like, you know, quite, I was quite old by that point. Yeah, in a way, do you know, know what? It's for, not for that long ago, of, I guess. No, exactly. Although, although it was a world away in terms of like YouTube, I think that's quite a common experience for trans people. We literally have to wait decades to understand ourselves. Um, mm. I think even though I always did feel like a boy and I always, you know, felt like that's what I should be and that's sort of the category that I fit into in every conceivable way both kind of externally and internally um I didn't know it was actually I didn't know that was a thing <laughs> like and that sounds really odd now no, like, well, because we have you wouldn't know any now. different would you no it I was guess. literally like the yeah. word did not exist and I'd never seen it I'd never heard about it being a thing I'd obviously I'd heard of the very negative stigmatized and honestly quite scary idea of you know, transsexual, which I think mm. that we're kind of reclaiming that word a little bit now, but in the past, it's been a very negative stigmatized word. But I just thought that those, those people were, you know, like mad or, or, you know, just nothing that I would ever want to be associated with because of how they're uh, portrayed in culture. And so, yeah, it took for me to be kind of on YouTube, pretty miserable at university, stumbled across a video about a young trans guy in America and, it's obviously a cliche, but it did blow my mind and changed everything. <laughs> so you mentioned discussing with your mum how you were feeling when you were younger. I, I really want to find out when you said to mm. her, I think I know what this feeling is now. Did you instantly feel better knowing there was someone else who felt the same way? I did in a way. Again, this was another kind of bit of a roller coaster. So I was at uni, other end of the country. So I didn't immediately go to my mum, even though I've, I've always been very close to her. Um, I think the first person I told was one of my flatmates and, but even that was after a few weeks. So basically when I watched this YouTube video, I then spent about a week just basking in this idea, um, by myself, um, not really being able to concentrate in lectures, like being in the, I remember being in the gym on the treadmill and just thinking, oh my God, my life's going to be amazing from now on. Oh my God, this is going to be incredible. I can't wait, you know? Mm. I can actually <laughs> be who I want to be. And then after about a week, I started to realize that actually maybe it wasn't going to be as simple as that. And people might not be into the idea as much as I was. And like, there might be, it might be difficult to tell people and, and, my, and that kind of cloud nine state 
um, kind of dissipated. And I went to see a GP in my university town and he immediately referred me to a gender clinic. Um, although, you know, it was going to be a, a quite a long wait, but he just said, well, the first thing you need to do is go and speak to someone at this clinic. And then I think I probably spoke to my mum the next holiday I had from uni, uh, which maybe was like a month or so later. And I said to her that I, I, I sort of said, I've discovered this thing. I mean, I've, I've, I've got, <laughs> I mean, gee, I mean, I think there was actually a lot for me to explain to her because I'd never, you know, the such was the extent of not really having the words. I, I don't think she still knew even that I'd, felt this way my entire life you know from when I was a kid to a young adult so it really was a long conversation I'd gotten so used to just like living with the discomfort and ignoring it and I'd bought a binder a chest binder and I remember sort of telling her about that and how amazing that made me feel and and yeah like she did she wasn't as <laughs> you know kind of positive about it as me which is totally understandable I remember she one of the first things she said was you know, I, I think I understand this and I support you, but please don't get any surgery. You know, like she was worried, um, yeah. which I, yeah, I totally get. And so I'm really glad we had that conversation and she didn't react negatively. She was just worried. And then like, but that was fine. That was kind of a, we could work from that sort of thing. And then it took a long time for me to come out to other people. I was very, yeah, I went from being very kind of euphoric at having made this discovery to just very nervous and worried about how how everyone would take it because I'm quite yeah. a shy person, <laughs> really. And do you, you know, you say that your mum, it maybe was like sort of hard for her to get her head around it. She understood it. Mm. But do you feel sort of differently towards that situation now that you're a parent? We can kind of like feel think badly of our parents for reacting in a certain way to things that we've done when we were you know teens or whatever yeah. but I I certainly do it certain ways I maybe behaved or you know what things I wanted to do and um, my parents didn't mm. want me to do and until I I'm a parent myself I'm like oh okay now I understand it's almost mm. like you want you want to mm. I don't know I guess when you have a child you want them to just have to be so happy and you don't want to think of them as struggling in any way yeah that's it that's definitely it like I can I can totally relate to the idea of not wanting your kids to have any massive challenges and mm. so if there's any possibility that they that I might have been wrong about that I can imagine I can understand why my mum would have wanted to leave space for that because I think she could have seen well because you know she was she was new to it all obviously as well. And I'd yeah. had by that point a month to sort of process it all and learn the language. And so, but for her, it was all just coming from me. <laughs> there was no, you know, this was, there was no, I, I didn't even have anything to look to in terms of like, now we're very familiar with the idea of people being rejected for coming out as trans or for people coming out as trans in general, just like what happens after that. Back then for me, I had nothing like that. I was, I was just, mm. I had to just kind of improvise and, and deal with things as it, as they came along. So, yeah, I think our closeness was always there and that was what kind of carried us through. Uh, but I also know now, like, as a parent, what I definitely sort of wouldn't do as well yeah. based on the reactions of, like, maybe other family members I've had and also stories I hear from other people. Um, you know, I, it's very – I can't get my head around the idea – that you would like become a parent and there'd be any possibility 
that you would just reject the child that you have for being themselves and for trying to share something with you. Like, ne- it never made sense to me, but now it it's just even more kind of inconceivable. You know, I think it's partly a cultural thing of Britishness, maybe, um, where it's hard to talk about things anyway. I think, my you know, my family is in some ways quite conservative and not great at talking about feelings and so but you kind of have to do that stuff if you want to tell people that you're trans and you're coming out and you're going to go through some big changes and you can't do that in like a light-hearted way no. <laughs> um, so if you're not used to having conversations anyway with relatives about big things and sort of personal deep things then yeah, having to come out to them as trans is just kind of a nightmare so actually I did um when I was ready to finally come out in a in a big general way rather than like two because you know I was just coming out to individuals and then, and then that actually got com- so exhausting having to have the same conversation mm, over and yeah. over again because people think I think people think you sort of come out once and that's it and then the rest of your life after that is different but it's not like that at all it's a it's a very piecemeal process and then you have to maybe go back to the people you've already spoken to and explain again because they didn't get it the first time and all this sort of thing so eventually when I'd chosen a new name I then came out on Facebook via you know when status updates were still like a thing that people paid any attention to after that that was a bit more of a you know there was a before and after but yeah it was also helpful it being impersonal and me just being able to tell a whole load of people yeah at once. exactly mm. just one like this is you know this is who I am yeah and I don't need to explain and I don't need to explain to each yeah, of you I probably individually even said, I might have even said you know like here's a good resource or you know you can google this like not in a flippant way but in a genuinely like yeah yeah I've had if you don't understand yeah, this, yeah. This, yeah you can go and do your own research absolutely yeah. I get that so tell us what were the next steps what happened when you went to the gender clinic because I mm. well, I mean both Georgia and I genuinely have no idea about mm. that side of it obviously you were a young adult at that point yeah I think things have changed quite a lot even since then so so I was referred to um, a clinic when I was at uni but then when I moved home after graduating that whole process had to start again, which was a real pain. But like, just because I'd moved to a different area of the country, I couldn't take the referral with me. So then there was even more delays. And I think eventually I ended up waiting about two and a half years for my first appointment. And that's relatively quick nowadays, like in the years since then. So my first appointment was in 2012. Mm. I'd waited about two and a half years. And um, then... But now, I think the average waiting time across the UK is about five years wow. for that first appointment. So in a way, I, I think I was extremely lucky and I was able to travel and do things in the, in the meantime while I was waiting to kind of keep my mind off it. And I guess five years as well in in relation to some, you know, if someone comes in and they're 15, five mm. years is a third of their life already. Mm. I mean, that's what's so, that's what's so um, infuriating about the way that this is talked about in the media, as, as you alluded to, especially with young people. The idea that people are being, quote, like rushed yeah. into, into anything is such a cruel joke. Um, it's so painful to hear this narrative. I mean, for me, but I can't imagine what it's like for the actual young people or their parents who are having to watch them suffer. You know, you have to, like you say, you know, if, if you get referred at 15, you might, if you started puberty blockers, then it might save you some of the pain of that puberty that is the wrong puberty for you. Or maybe even, you know, younger, like in the States and in places like Australia, it's easier for young people to access hormone blockers, which are a safe and well-established and reversible treatment. Um, if they started those at like 12, 
they would have a couple of years to explore and think and people often refer to it as buying time basically right and then and then making a decision about cross-sex hormones when they're a a few years down the line Mm. but yeah in this country um that almost it's not an exaggeration to say it almost never happens not because it's clinically deemed the right thing for that child not to have hormone blockers but literally because of the waiting times and so by the time you i've spoken to people who were referred when they were a young person and then when they actually got their appointment, the clinic was like, oh, you're too old now. So we're going to have to refer you to the adult clinic. And they had to wait another three or four years. Oh like, goodness. can you imagine? It's just, yeah, it's so, yeah, the reality of the whole thing is is um, is like torture. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, two and a half years in the retrospect seems like a relatively short amount of time. You have to go to a psychiatrist first to sort of check, I suppose, that you're not suffering from any mental health conditions. I'm not sure if that's still something that is required, but that's what I had to do. So I had like a full psychiatric assessment um, before getting my first gender clinic appointment. And then you go and speak to someone and they ask you kind of a load of set questions, which are quite, uh, anyway, they were then, I'm not sure what it's like now, but, um, you know, quite kind of almost like playing into this binary stereotype of what men are like and what women are like. And you almost feel like you're being kind of tested to see if you fit the ideal, it's, it's kind of weird. And then, and then I, I was, like I say, kind of nervous and, you know, um, I basically, it took me a while to get to the point where I could confidently say that I deserved to be happy <laughs> and yeah. that I could go after what I wanted. And so I didn't immediately get prescribed testosterone or hormones because I think the uh, consultant could sense that hesitancy in me and it wasn't a hesitancy over who I was um it was a hesitancy over am I brave enough to to tell the world who I am um and to live as myself and and yeah to sort of pursue happiness in a way that I didn't ever think was actually possible so again you know the idea that we're rushed into anything is is just not true it's a very thoughtful process um I suppose if you get the right person um and they can kind of move beyond the you know, the binary ideas of gender. So yeah, I think after about another, it's about another six months or um, that I got prescribed testosterone. So that was 2013. And then in 2014, I had chest surgery and I went abroad for that. And my mum came and that was amazing. That was a real, you know, she went from like being afraid of me ever having any kind of surgery to coming with me to support me. And um, it was, yeah, an amazing sort of bonding experience for us. Um, and then it was about two years after that, 2016, that I paused testosterone in order to start my family. We'll be right back after this short break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to this episode of Made by Mamas. Now, where were we? Had you always thought about being a parent? And I guess... Why did you think that that moment was yeah. the right moment for you to take the plunge? I mean, well, yeah, in a way it was, I felt like it was up to me. In another way, I felt like I was being forced into making a decision by by certain circumstances. Right. Okay. It's, I mean, so yes, firstly, yes, I, I had always wanted to be a parent. I'd always loved the company of children, uh, just got on with kids, you know, like kind of was able to like chat to them easily and um, you know, love babies and all this sort of stuff. I never thought about how or when I would become a parent. I never thought about pregnancy. I never even really thought about like, am I a mom or a dad? You know, I just, I didn't really see myself in that future. I just saw kids that I would be somehow responsible for, I suppose. Um, and then, and also the idea of like solo parenthood always felt quite natural to me. Like, so I never felt like I definitely have to have a partner in order to have kids. It was really just like, I just want to be a parent one day. Um, Mm. Then when I started testosterone, I'd been told by the gender clinic consultant and it was just sort of received wisdom in the community that testosterone would make me infertile. So I'd sort of made peace with the idea that I would probably adopt one day. And I wasn't deep down fully happy with that, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I needed to transition and that was more important. And my mum also, you know, was worried about that. Um, And I, I remember kind of telling her it was going to be okay and I'm and not really believing that myself but like feeling like I you know I just definitely need I if I don't transition there is going to be no future so the idea of kids like doesn't it's not really relevant right now and then I <laughs> watched another YouTube video <laughs> like I just got lucky again finding a YouTube video by accident of this guy trans man in America who was pregnant um and that was in about 2014, 15. Um, and it was just another mind blowing moment of like, Oh my God, what, why didn't anyone tell me this was possible? Like, why have I been basically lied to? It feels like, you know, and then I didn't. So I started looking into it more. I found out that lots of trans men had been pregnant by accident or deliberately. And the only thing you needed to do was just stop your hormone therapy and then you could conceive and like nothing seemed to be damaged. Um, but I didn't know whether that was true like long-term or whether still there was some chance that it would harm my fertility eventually. Mm. So really I kind of felt, once I felt confident to go down that path, which I did because by that point I felt so confident in myself, like I knew who I was. So I could only do that because I'd transitioned. I think people might find that kind of weird, but like I felt like confident to be pregnant as a man because that's who I am I wouldn't have felt confident to be pregnant while I was still trying to pretend to be a woman (laughs) like so it's you know my body can do it and and so for me it was kind of a pragmatic decision and and yeah the the confidence came from the fact that I was sort of you know living my best life by that point um but yeah I I felt like I needed to do it soon because I again I wasn't sure whether eventually it would harm my fertility I now know that it doesn't full stop and that right okay yeah, like I know people who have been on testosterone for fifteen years have come off, and, and they still get pregnant. healthy 
beautiful babies yeah it's just it just doesn't seem to be a thing it's just like you're you don't even stop ovulating though when you're on testosterone like this is another thing where people need people aren't told this when they when they transition you still have Mm. periods when you're you don't well some people do it's really individual like as most things are right like so some people will still have maybe a light period or some people still have like regular periods on testosterone and maybe that means their levels aren't quite right or maybe it just means that that's what their body's going to do but um even if you don't have a cycle you are still ovulating like silently which is why people need to be careful and use contraception if they're having sex um and that's not something you really get told by the gender clinics because i I think they just think that like we probably just don't have sex (laughs) because we're like sad trans people but like you know the quite a lot of trans men fall pregnant by accident and and that's not ideal obviously like if you want to have a kid then that's great and you can plan that but it shouldn't be happening in a way that's you know unplanned and potentially stressful and upsetting if you don't want to be getting pregnant um yeah so yeah like testosterone is not a good contraceptive it's not a contraceptive at all like just, I just want to say that in case anyone's yeah. listening who needs to know that. I felt like it was the best way for me to start my family. So I did it then. I was lucky that I had I'd started my career. I was on the verge of buying a house in my hometown where it's affordable to do that. Um, and things just kind of came together and and I felt like I needed to do it then anyway because of this like risk of becoming infertile, which I now know is not a thing. But um yeah it, and I had support from my mom and yeah. it was it was great I mean it was, it was still a very lonely experience that first pregnancy so you decided to stop the testosterone or at least pause it for a bit yeah did you then go straight to the fertility clinic yeah yes and how well I guess how were you received at the, at the fertility clinic we've had lots of different people on here who've got pregnant mm-hmm. in different ways right. um, and some have had an amazing experience and some have almost been met with oh so you haven't even, you know, you you haven't been trying to get pregnant naturally mm. for years and years and years. So I don't know where you fit. I'm not really sure how to sure. deal with you. How, <laughs> how how was it? Because you know, it's not. All, I guess it's not always going to be plain sailing. I had a good experience when I first inquired with the clinic that I chose, which I chose on the basis that they had like a discount for their first appointment, and that was literally it. Like it was in London. I was living in London at the time. Um, you know, it was one of the big ones. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that first phone call was a bit like, oh, no, I think it was probably it was probably an email, actually, because, you know, that's much easier. I, you know, I would have said, you know, I'm, I'm a trans man and I'm looking at getting pregnant. Um, you know, are you would your clinic is your clinic going to welcome me? Well, you know, I can't remember the words I used, but I wanted I don't know. I said that up front and I think their response was very much like, yep come in for an appointment and we'll do all the tests and see if you're ready. And Mm. I think they may have treated other trans men or another trans man maybe in the past because they did seem like really chill about it. And um, they understood. I didn't have to go into lots of explanation about how testosterone, you know, hadn't affected my fertility. It's almost like they they just knew that because... Which is amazing. And I guess that's what you, you would want. They're doctors right and, and and actually if you speak to an endocrinologist about this which i have i have an endocrinologist and, and he actually was really supportive even though the gender clinic wasn't when i told them about my plans to conceive and come off testosterone the endocrinologist had also worked with other trans men who'd been pregnant in the past and he was just like well from an endocrinology perspective there's no way that testosterone would cause like long-term damage if it's cleared your system there's that's it it's gone you know so that was really refreshing to just get a kind of straightforwardly like medical, you know, mm. 
well, if you're if you, you know if you're fertile, if you're ready to go, if your bloods are all correct, we we will treat you. And and you know it's a it's an industry, right? Like I knew that I was never going to get funding on the NHS for what I needed, so I didn't even bother looking at it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't want to just go through that rejection. Um, and I was very lucky that my suspicion that I didn't have any other fertility issues was true. So I didn't need to go through like super expensive rounds of IVF, and that's. I feel hugely grateful and lucky for that. Um, so, but still, I was a, I was a customer. I was yeah offering them my money. Yeah, <laughs> it sort of felt like you know that's kind of what it felt like. And and also like I'm a I'm a white middle class university educated man. So they took me seriously. Like mm. I, I, there's no other way to look at it really. I think even though I'm trans, even though I was trying to get pregnant, my male privilege persists because people read me when they are talking to me in a certain way and so I think I get treated respectfully in that situation where other people perhaps don't and that's really terrible and it should not be that way yeah. but I'm, I'm I'm constantly aware of it like yeah uh, I can speak in a way and people will listen um because of my deep voice like it's so messed up but like as a trans man especially having lived as a woman and as a man it's, you just can't help but be aware of how profound that is and so so yeah, like I had a pretty positive experience and I conceived second time. I changed the donor because I was originally planning to co-parent with someone. And oh, then when right, that okay. broke down, when that broke down, I changed the donor and, and and that worked first time. But yeah, and I'd considered like, do I know anyone who could be a donor? And I just didn't really. And before that, I'd even considered like, do I know anyone who could be a surrogate for me? And I also didn't. So... So yeah, I really had like considered all my options. So exciting, obviously, because you had the sperm donor, you conceived. Talk us through the pregnancy. How yeah. was it? There's there's two things here. There's there's pregnancy, and I felt like I had quite bad nausea throughout pregnancy. Um, so and I felt exhausted, and that was physically draining, and all that sort of stuff. But the but being off tea was was harder. That was the worst thing, and the dysphoria that came sort of roaring back in um, felt worse than when I'd before I'd transitioned because almost like it felt like I knew what was possible in terms of like feeling comfortable in my body. So the, the difference between that and then kind of losing that again, just felt a lot more stark and and profound. And so I kind of said at the time, and I still think this, that if I could be pregnant and on testosterone, Mm, I'd like boss pregnancy (laughs) because (laughs) you know, the growing a kid bit, like for me, that's just not. And I think this is something that other trans men and non-binary people who've been pregnant often talk about. Yeah. The sense from cis people, as in people who aren't trans, is that like, oh my God, how can you go through this fundamentally female experience? And like, well, if it's, if you're trans and you're going through it, it's just not that for you. Like you can be, you, you can feel pretty alienated by all the language around pregnancy, especially if you're going to appointments and facing you know having to buy products that have women on them and it's all gendered and like that's pretty annoying and uh and not great but the the personal subjective experience i've heard trans men talk about how like it was the most they felt they never felt stronger they never felt more affirmed in their masculinity and i've heard women talk about how they never felt stronger they ne- they never felt more affirmed as strong women yeah and i think both can be true right like it depends on the person and i've heard people say they hate being pregnant and <laughs> i was one of those people <laughs> but that's got nothing in a way like you know because of the dysphoria but also i just hated like the constant nausea obviously because pregnancy and childbirth are so 
gendered because historically we've only known women doing it we kind of get it backwards and we think that therefore like i don't know that it's this like defining female experience but it's not that for me and also i do think that that's problematic for women because then where does that leave people who women who yeah, don't, who want, don't kids? want kids yeah exactly exactly yeah. it's just like it's a bit of a i just don't think we've kind of realized that it's a bit of an old-fashioned way of thinking about it to put it mildly <laughs> yeah i do you know it's interesting because i hadn't thought of it like that where you say about yeah. you know the people who don't want children where does that leave them because mm. then they think what well, am i not uh, you know am I not female because I don't want to go through right. that process yeah of course and yeah. also cis women who are born with intersex traits or who are have infertility you know it's sort of we, we we lose sight of the individual and when we talk in those big sort of general terms and obviously I understand why we talk in general terms and humans just love doing that <laughs> and we yeah. love simplifying things and categorizing things during your pregnancy Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think, you know, I, I've i never seen a trans person pregnant before. That you know of. Yeah, that I know of, exactly. <laughs> do you know what? That's exactly, that's so true. <laughs> how do people react, though, to you? And how would you want them to, I guess? That's the other thing. Which yeah. People listening will want to know that. I mean, in a way, I was, I felt protected by that fact that, like, no one thinks or, or, or perhaps has ever encountered a pregnant trans person that's that's such a like a profoundly true thing that no one what it means is that people never go to that conclusion yeah like no one ever literally ever looked at me in public or even in private where they didn't because I only told like quite a small number of close friends and family that I was pregnant the first time when I was um that no one ever assumed I was pregnant like I carried quite small and I think people just thought I had a beer belly. Um, so I, it was always in my control whether people knew or not. And frankly, I didn't want anyone to know because right, I felt okay. worried about what people's reactions would be. Like, because So, yeah, I, d- I never really had to think about that. Like when I told people it was, it was always close friends and family and 99% of the time, you know, I was able to sort of sit down and have a proper conversation with them about it. And like I've sort of said, you know, explain about how it's basically just sort of a pragmatic decision for me and I'm not changing who I am. This is just something that my body can do and I really want to have kids and be a dad and have a family. So like this is the best way for me to do yeah. it, blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, like then I'd kind of rather not massively dwell on it. I suppose like the only people I felt truly comfortable discussing actual pregnancy with at length was other seahorse dads or other pregnant trans men we call ourselves seahorse dads because male seahorses give birth um but yes even cis women who've been pregnant especially like i found uh, quite a few older women in my life um family friends were so sweet and trying to be so helpful but i didn't but the uh, but the experience of them sort of trying to find common ground with me and, and relating to what i was feeling didn't feel great and, and i'm right, okay. not entirely sure why but like yeah I think because because of that whole I've got the pregnancy bit, which is bad, but then I've also got the dysphoria yeah. bit, which is bad. And I'm not 100% sure which is which. And um, and so, like, having a, um, a cis woman tell me very firmly, like, oh, my God, I totally know what you mean. Like, I just kind of wanted to be like, no, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> And yeah. that's fine. And that's fine. And I love you and you love me and I get this. But, like, 
can we just talk about something else, please? <laughs> so you mentioned that you didn't really want people to know in the public, kind of, you know, potentially maybe not, I don't know, welcoming questions around the pregnancy, yeah. which totally understandable. How did you feel the second time round? Yeah, with um, the second time around, it was so different. It, I, so during my first pregnancy, the first actual friend I made who was pregnant at the same time as me um, and, a, and a trans man um, up in the Midlands, he was so helpful to me in terms of sort of being a role model for me and, and teaching me how to be more proud and be more confident. And, you know, I remember when we met up uh, soon after our kids were born, they're almost exactly the same age, which is amazing. And um, we were just having a casual conversation. And I think um, maybe he was going to something like tumble tots with his yeah. kid. And I was talking about how I was going to some baby groups with with this group of friends I'd made locally who all just happened to have babies at the same time as me. And we'd all been friends from before. So I was able to reconnect with them quite easily, which was amazing. But I hadn't been like telling strangers at these baby groups our story or, or my story particularly. Right, okay. So um, and I was, I was happy with that. I was like flying under the radar a bit and that was fine. Obviously, all my friends knew and they were very supportive. So, so at the baby groups, people would literally just assume like you hadn't yeah. carried the baby. That was yeah. that. And I'm quite, I don't tend to go and make small talk with strangers. Yeah. I'm very good at avoiding doing that. So like, yeah, it just never really came up. And so I, I was sort of saying to myself, I'm not lying. I'm not, I'm not, you know, someone asked me, I would be honest, but I prefer them not to ask probably in this situation. Because I just felt like a bit, I don't know how people are going to react. You know, like you say, my friend was like, fuck that. I created this baby. I did the hard work here. People are going to know that I did that, you know, and it just, that that was like, oh my God, yeah, I guess you could also take that approach, you know. And that was what he literally said. I think something, you know, like I did this, I made this, you know, and, and it, with a big smile on his face and he was, it just, again, it took someone saying it and doing it and me seeing it to realize that that was also an option because I just assumed that I needed to be yeah. on the down low um, in situations where I didn't necessarily know people. So that was the start. And then I got to know more seahorse dads on Instagram and in real life. And I met people when uh, my documentary came out um, who would just come up to me at screenings. And, and then so by the time I was trying to get pregnant for the second time, I absolutely knew that I was going to share the experience more publicly as I went through it. And I just didn't feel the need to to hide away anymore and like still you know in person day to day like in town I, I did still fly under the radar a little bit because still people will never look at a man and be like oh wow I wonder if yeah. he's pregnant yeah like of course. even if they've seen like my documentary they probably wouldn't do that because it's still so far from people's yeah. everyday experience and still I I quite enjoy that like I still don't want to be approached on the street or like heckled or obviously you know anything like that and that's never happened thank god but online and in this like positive space I find on Instagram um I feel I do feel really proud about it now and, and I do love the fact that I get messages from like younger trans guys or maybe their parents sometimes being like oh you know this is so helpful like knowing what the possibilities are and um that's that's why I do it like well exactly you know. that's what I was gonna say and I guess hiding away it feels natural to you to not want mm. to you know that's your that's your personality right mm, yeah. um but I guess the more we see the more those 
barriers will break down mm-hmm. where people will you know won't just assume that it's a male mm-hmm. that's not carrying the child they they mm-hmm. may think oh maybe you know maybe that happens and i guess the world that our children live it will live in mm-hmm. will be slightly different to the one that we grew up in if yeah. this continue you know if people continue to be open and um proud you know proud about what they what they're doing in a way I don't I am a bit scared I don't want to necessarily lose that not anonymity um but the the protection of people not assuming yeah that I'm pregnant or that another trans guy is pregnant because I do think there's still the risk of harm especially in the UK right now with the anti-trans um atmosphere in the media and in politics but what what I really want is that trans people young trans boys for instance they just know what their options are. I just, yeah. I just think it's a scandal that people are still being led to believe, if not actively told, but certainly led to believe that transition, medical transition, necessarily means sterility and the lack of options for starting a family. And I just really look forward to a day when, like, that's not happening anymore. And that applies to all queer young people, right? Like, I think a lot of queer youth have kind of a self-protective mindset of like oh I don't want to have kids anyway (laughs) and I don't want to sound patronizing because obviously some people go through their entire lives feeling that way and that is 100% legitimate but I know of a study that found that way more queer kids than straight kids will say they don't want to have kids and that they don't think it's something that's really for them Um, and then when they're older way more queer elders then straight elders report a sense of regret or a sense of actually I, I kind of wish that had been an option for me. So while there's that imbalance between what people say they want when they're young and actually what they wish they'd had when they're older, we need to we need to look at that and and like, you know, recognize that actually that comes from a place of yeah. self-preservation and, you know, not necessarily truly what people want, but actually what they think they can have or what they deserve yeah you know what they can what they are able to say they want as opposed to what they truly want inside yeah and I guess as well you know for any parents listening to this you know if your child comes to you whatever age they are it's great to know the options as a parent for your children so that you can be there to support them what I guess what would you say to parents listening to this if if they have a child that comes to them and says, mm. I don't, you know, I don't feel like a boy, I don't feel like a girl, mm. wh- what would you say to them to help them support their child? As long as you say that you love them and that everything will be okay and that you are with them no matter what, there's not, you can't really go wrong. Like in terms of, yeah, you know, um, what are the first sort of practical steps you take or what, you know that there are there's lots of resources out there for the practical side of how to support your trans kid right but even if you go down one path and it's not quite right and and you're not sure and you're worried and and your kid doesn't seem sure either like that's that just takes time and that takes sort of patience and as long as right throughout that you are expressing love and support that's i I sort of fundamentally think that's all that matters sort of thing like because and which is great. And that's that hope that's reassuring because, you know, yeah, it might seem like it's really complicated to be the parent of a trans kid. But my mom didn't know the first thing about yeah. that when I came out <laughs> to her. You know, she just loved me and supported me no matter what. And 
that didn't mean that she didn't have fears and questions and yeah but um we're stronger than ever now and and you know yeah so i think that's that's really all that matters and and you know although having has said that if people do want practical resources i can definitely strongly recommend a podcast called how to be a girl which is by a mum in the states who has a trans daughter and it's it's been going on for years now so it's this amazing long-term um account of parenting a, a trans child in a, in like difficult times um and they've just written a book actually as well so like you could read that it's called the same thing okay. and if your kid's really young there are some great picture books out there about gender um we've just got a new one called your truest self mm. which we're enjoying at the moment um and yeah in terms of fertility and i mean something i, I often find myself talking to parents of trans boys about at this point is you know we've been told that, that he needs to freeze his eggs and he doesn't want to do that because he's 14 or, you know, or yeah. 15 or, and that's the last thing he wants to think about. And so, and, and the, there is very, very little research uh, around this topic. And obviously this is something that the media likes to pick up on as much as possible is like really scary ideas about how we're, we're sterilizing children. I just want to say like, most of the time that is not the case especially with the delays and the long waiting times in the uk without making young trans boys squirt one a squirm basically if if a trans boy has started puberty and has basically had his first period and then goes on to puberty blockers or testosterone he will chances are he can then do what i did yeah. which is pause at some point in the future and his and and it'll be fine and then he can decide what he wants to do in the future kind of thing like there are some very uh small number of situations where um fertility can be affected if you start puberty blockers very young but that's not something that happens in this country so it's generally not something you need to worry about so yeah i would just say like try to find as much information as you can before you decide to pursue freezing your eggs because it's really expensive and often actually doesn't have very good outcomes in terms of the chances of having a live birth from frozen eggs which i think mm. is something that we don't talk about enough in general for women or trans men yeah. like so um if, if anyone does have specific questions about this i'm i'm always happy to answer them um uh, via email is probably the best thing because yeah like i said there isn't any there aren't any proper resources out there about this, but we are sort of coming to understand it a bit better in the community. And every episode, we love to ask mm. our guests what their favourite parenthood products are. Have you got a list there? And we're, we're like, we're dying to hear them. A couple come to mind. Like I used Clue when I was um, trying to track my cycle. You know, preparing for IUI. Yeah. And that's that's as far as I can remember, completely gender neutral um that's a that's a period tracking app and um, yeah so clue yeah that, that's the one i would recommend if you're trying to do that so we use cheeky wipes um yes love those the reusable mm. bum wipes yeah. uh yeah they're amazing and i then that i just discovered that they make period pants um and I reusable did I period know pants. That. no i didn't either they they also sell reusable nappies um but they they've got uh, a couple of bits in their range of period products that are completely gender neutral so that's really cool, and I'm, I want to try those out. Um, and I would recommend those to to other people. Well, I heard someone say that it, it like enables you to forget that you're on a period, which mm. for trans guys who have to have periods, like sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'd say, this is not a brand, but just a general tip. When I was pregnant the first time, I really struggled to find clothes. I didn't want to wear 
maternity clothes like I didn't want to go to the maternity section and that all just felt completely like it wasn't for me and it didn't include me and made me feel really dysphoric um so I just wore lots of like really baggy tracksuit bottoms and felt kind of not great in myself because it made me feel I don't, I don't usually wear that kind of thing so I felt kind of a bit slobby and yeah you know didn't do great things for my mood and that kind of thing but the second time I realized like oh my god dungarees exist <laughs> and I just <laughs> lived in dungarees and so that's what I would strongly recommend to any anyone who's like gender non-conforming like butch you know trans mask whatever um stock up on on some big dungarees and you can be pregnant and feel like a lot more comfortable perfect and literally just before we go what is the best piece of parenting advice that you've ever been given or that you give to another parent so my sister said my sister had a kid about a month before my first was born so that was amazing and they're like um brothers and she said to me early on that when um I suppose probably when my kid was about six months old. Yeah. She just said everything's a phase. And I, and I know that's quite a common piece of advice, but I don't think I'd ever have heard it if it wasn't for her. Everything's a phase, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Yeah. And it was the good <laughs> stuff that I needed to be told that about because, you know, you had that thing of like, oh, my God, slept through last night. Oh, my God, you know, and you sort of uh, get lulled into a false sense of security. <laughs> so, yeah, just everything's a phase, which I think really helps to bear in mind when you're feeling knackered. Absolutely. I love that. Freddie, thank you so much. Where can we find more about you and where can we watch the documentary? It sounds incredible. Sure. So um, if you go to seahorsefilm.com slash watch, that's the quickest way to find the best way to watch it wherever you are, which is probably Vimeo. You can rent it through Vimeo. And I think that works in most places around the world. Um, On Instagram, I'm freddie.mcconnell and that's freddie with a Y um and yeah if you are a queer person with kids or wanting to have kids one day maybe um have check out my podcast that i made for the bbc a while ago called pride and joy which is all about different kinds of lgbtq families thank you so thank much you for so coming much. on thank you cool. thank you thanks for having me wow what an amazing amazing person i know it's fascinating and also i found it really interesting the way he said that you know females in his family were trying to relate to what he was going through um during pregnancy and he actually felt quite frustrated by that and he sort of was thinking well no you don't understand what i'm going through because yes you have been pregnant but you haven't been also coming off of testosterone drugs at the same time and sort of battling that you know the transition from female into lots of male hormones and then having to bring those that take come off of those to yeah, then yeah, yeah. go through pregnancy it's a lot that's a, it's a real lot to take in and mm. it's no surprise that he really didn't enjoy pregnancy but mm. he seems to just be such a natural parent mm, i know yeah beautiful beautiful conversation really kind of everything that I wanted from it does that yeah. make sense as yeah. in like all the information but all of the emotional side to it too and just a really really incredible story I, I I'm so I'm so I was gonna say I'm ever so proud of us George but I'm, I'm <laughs> proud of the people that we have on as guests Me too. because they're really they're, they feel brave enough to be able to open up and really share their stories with us yeah, and so exactly. yeah hopefully you guys listening at home enjoyed it as much as we did thank you so much uh, for listening thank you so much for getting involved with the podcast uh, and as always we would love you to rate you subscribe and give the podcast a little follow so that you never miss an episode yep please do and if you've seen anyone that you think would make a great guest on the made by mamas podcast then please do drop us a dm we're on at made by mamas on instagram and we'll be back on friday 
Made by Mamas is an Insanity podcast production and today's episode was produced by the wonderful Charlotte Mason. Insanity Group. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.